0: To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by Angostura. If you've ever made a cocktail at home, you've most likely shaken Angostura bitters into your cocktail at the very end of the cocktail making process. In addition to bitters, Angostura has been making world-class rum for more than 130 years. The next fall cocktail you make, try the beautiful, smooth flavor of Angostura rum. It will transport you to the Caribbean islands of Trinidad and Tobago. The House of Angostura will celebrate its 200-year anniversary of turning drinks into cocktails in 2024. Cheers, everyone. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American Nationals philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. Welcome to To Dine for the Podcast, where we meet the world's most creative and innovative minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's episode is John George's.
1: That's what I try to do. I try to get everyone to slow down a little bit, block out everything, have a look at this. And all of a sudden, you're having an experience that you've you've drunk a lot of times before, but you're having a different experience because you're a little bit more mindful.
0: That is John Georges, a native Trinidadian. He was educated at the University of the West Indies, where he graduated with a B.S.C. in chemical engineering. He joined the House of Angostura in 1982 and has worked in so many different roles in the production of fine rum. He's worked in the distillery and aging departments, the packaging departments, the company-wide capital projects. He is now semi-retired, but continues to be a storyteller for Angostura, and what a story that brand has. Please enjoy my interview with John Georges. Hi, John. Thank you so much for being on to Dine for the Podcast. We did it. Here we are. Where are you coming in from?
1: Well, actually, I'm at home. I'm at home at the moment.
0: And where is home?
1: Home is turned out in Tobago.
0: Ah, oh, what is the weather? Come on. I want you to just lay it on me. What is the weather in Trinidad and Tobago?
1: Actually, it, it's it's sunny at the moment, but we've been having these showers and so on, little thunderstorms, and they're so intense that street flooding and stuff like that happens, and then it's all gone, and it's nice and shiny again.
0: Ah, uh, <laughs> Such is the Caribbean, right? Now, do you say Caribbean or do you say Caribbean?
1: I say Caribbean. <laughs>
0: well, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're joining me today. And I cannot wait to dive into your story um, because I think it's a really interesting one. But I'm gonna begin this podcast the way I always begin by asking the guest, where is your favorite restaurant? And I'm sure you have <laughs> dined all over the Caribbean. And I'm interested to know if you could only take me to one spot, where would it be? And if you could describe it.
1: Oh, good grief. <laughs> you know, what What I've been doing recently, because I've been there uh, over and over again, there's a local restaurant run by, and uh, it's an Indian restaurant called Mina House.
0: Mina House?
1: Yes. It's an Indian restaurant here in Trinidad. And I've been there, you know, two or three times for sort of a, a fine dining experience. And... Um, i think uh, you know the, the beauty of that place is as as it is for in general for indian food it's just the variety of flavours and tastes that you come across and you know exotic nature there are that that you know recently i think i can go back there a couple of times easily and still find something new and interesting if I had to come up with a second choice, there's an Arabic restaurant that's quite nice too.
0: <laughs> you know, your, your your fellow Trinidadians and Tobagoans, I don't even know if I'm saying that right, are going to be upset with you if you do not come up with a Caribbean restaurant choice. Well, because people are going to want to know.
1: The thing about the Caribbean restaurant choice is, is is that really, I don't need to go to a restaurant for Caribbean food.
0: Because <laughs> you can cook it at home, right?
1: <laughs> I just get it wherever I am, you know. And it tends to be on the, more on the fast food side of things, the quick street food sort of stuff, you know. Classic home-cooked meals are still the way to go in the Caribbean. So that you, you, you don't really think so much of it as a restaurant, but you think that... I was at my friend's house and they had really great roti or it was an exceptional oil down or that pilau was the best and it's really a home thing not a restaurant thing. <laughs>
0: ah thank you. Thank you. I you know whenever I ask the question I get something really interesting and and you really proved my point there so thank you for that. You grew up in Trinidad and Tobago is that correct?
1: Mostly yeah mostly all but six or seven years.
0: <laughs> okay. So who did you want to be when you were high school, college age? Like, What was your dream?
1: Ooh, That's really difficult to say. I'm, I'm afraid my entire life, I, I sort of let life happen to me
0: mm. because
1: the things that were happening for me were so far more interesting than anything I thought of. <laughs>
0: like what? Give me an example.
1: Luckily for me, uh, my old man, when he was he, he 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 left. We left Trinidad when I was about five or six. We went to live in East Africa. We lived in Tanzania wow. for six or seven years. I could have never dreamed that up. That's not something I would have known. It exposed me to a lot of different things. It was an interesting time, six to thirteen or thereabouts, something like that. Then we came back to Trinidad, and I was in Trinidad. I've been basically in Trinidad since then. But those were formative years. Um, a lot of impressions at that time.
0: What did your experience in Africa, having, you know, been a, a young boy in the Caribbean, teach you?
1: You know, I, I became aware of, of, of more global events, if you will. So, for instance, even though Trinidad had just been recently in, made independent in 62, and we left in around 65, I was not really aware of that situation when I went to East Africa I became aware of the fact that Tanzania had recently become independent Mm. because my old man was there as some sort of, you know, we all try to help one another by getting uh, people of acceptable standards to begin to take over running of these countries because there were previously, all of us previously, British colonies. Mm -hmm. And um, they wanted locals to, or as near locals or people who had experienced Colonialism to be part of the transition. So it's only when I got to East Africa I was aware of the transition. I was aware of, you know, the fact that all of a sudden in East Africa we couldn't go to, well, we didn't go to the local schools. We had to go to international schools, mm. not exactly international, but yeah, we'll call it international schools. And that was another yeah. new concept for me. Went to a boarding school. I never imagined going to a boarding school. Yeah. So many things were, were happening in East Africa when we got around, to all the safaris and all that sort of thing. I mean, it was, I'd never imagined those things before and here I am in the middle of it.
0: <laughs> right. So here you are, you know, an island boy who gets to chance to travel the world and you've got a chance to not only were your eyes open to political issues and yeah. what's going on in the world, but you also saw an entirely different culture.
1: An entirely different culture. And um, at, at that age, uh, you, you absorb very quickly. You find friends. Some of my my early friends were just guys, that, young African boys that were in the neighborhood. And uh, the fact that I did not speak Swahili at the time was not a problem. Yeah. <laughs> we just hung out uh, because that's what kids do. They hang out and you, you pick up the language as you go. I never formally learned Swahili. But just by hanging out with the guys and so on, I picked up enough to be conversant. And I, that's, that's just brilliant. It's, it is.
0: It's isn't great it? to
1: be that free.
0: Yes, and so innocent <laughs> and pure too, right? And just yes. making friends with whoever you connect with. It's wonderful.
1: Exactly. It was it was a different environment and it it certain awarenesses came. And and then that was a very traumatic time in in, in global terms. The, the sort of late sixties, early seventies. By the time I came back to Trinidad, there was a, a lot of awareness of a lot of different things. All of a sudden, as to what was happening in Trinidad, what I had gone over my head completely when I was just six. By the time I came back, ooh, this is quite different. All sorts of things have happened here since we were gone. <laughs> it was just a lot of going, a lot going on, but. That's just part of growing up, isn't it?
0: <laughs> yes, it is. And and I, I like how you said I, you kind of, in in many ways, when you were young, just let life happen to you. At what point do you start to forge your own path? And what do you see as like one of your first career decisions that really well, came from you?
1: Mm, well, at the end of the day, it, it, it's uh, your education is is the key to where you go in life. You know, where sure. do you, how do you move forward? And in, in, in Trinidad, you tend to make, certainly at around sixteen, seventeen. 17, you, you then choose your sort of academic path if you believe that you are more scientifically minded. You would choose to, to, to study subjects, physics, chemistry, mathematics, biology, that type of thing. If you believe that you are more into what would be termed here, modern studies, you, you direct your studies towards, I don't know, English language, literature, geography, history.
0: What did you study?
1: I chose sciences, mm. physics, chemistry, mathematics, advanced mathematics, that type of thing. And that really starts to, to point you in a sort of a direction.
0: For sure. That
1: direction takes you to, I don't know, medicine, engineering, that sort of career path. And this is Trinidad and Tobago. And Trinidad is fortunate in that we're an oil and gas country, natural gas, that is. That's the main source of revenue for the country.
0: When did you get involved in the spirits business?
1: Ooh, I'm going to say I was very lucky. First of all, uh, let's back it up a little bit. My old man, my father, who, who turned out to be a lawyer, he was a lawyer and a judge, that sort of thing. Somehow he inadvertently steered me away from that path. And said, you know, it's it's easier if you do the science subjects, because if you do those subjects, you do those. uh, uh, Actually, everything else is open to you afterwards. Mm -hmm. If you don't get into a science subject early in life, it's very difficult to fill in afterwards. Which is true. Pretty much everything else Mm -hmm. you can do subsequently. I know many lawyers who have started their legal career at 40 or 50,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. because you can do that. But uh, I don't think you decide you want to be an engineer at 50. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so my woman directed me toward directed me to those those subjects, and then subsequently a choice of engineering came up. I chose I chose chemical engineering. Um, I thought this is Trinidad and uh, gas processing, oil refining, that sort of thing. That's that's what we do here. That's what we do a lot of. Uh, I kind of had a slight bias towards chemi- chemistry. Which I then discovered had very little to do with chemical engineering, but that's okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it has a lot to making cocktails, It has a lot to do with making cocktails. So, in a way, you were kind of, you know, you see the breadcrumbs of who you would be. But continue well, on; I don't want to steal it, your it, thunder.
1: Yes and no, but then it, it comes full circle. So I study chemical engineering, and uh, I, I eventually graduate. And yes, I start looking for jobs primarily in the so-called industrial areas. And I come close, I'm second, I'm third, but I never actually get the job. (laughs) Mm. And then I see an advertisement for a factory manager at the distillery. Now, I had visited the distillery when I was at university on a tour, you know, just an engineering tour, they take the chemical engineering students to see chemical engineering at work. So I, I, Go there and I there there are two two engineers there, two chemical engineers, and I'm thinking, mm. uh, okay, they don't need any, so I'll never work here.
0: <laughs> and which distillery is it?
1: Well, this is this is this is Angostura's distillery. Okay. At the time, even though it was not the only one operating at the time, it was the one that I visited, Angostura's distillery. I applied and I got the job.
0: We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute, but first, thank you to our sponsors. To Dine For, the podcast, is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American National agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. To Dine For, the podcast is brought to you by Angostura. If you've ever made a cocktail at home, you've most likely shaken Angostura bitters into your cocktail at the very end of the cocktail making process. In addition to bitters, Angostura has been making world-class rum for more than 130 years. The next fall cocktail you make, try the beautiful, smooth flavor of Angostura rum. It will transport you to the Caribbean islands of Trinidad and Tobago the House of Angostura will celebrate its 200-year anniversary of turning drinks into cocktails in 2024. Cheers, everyone. Now back to our conversation. The Angostura plant in Trinidad and Tobago is celebrating 200 years. Is that correct?
1: 100 years, yes. That is amazing.
0: Can you talk a little bit about the brand and what it means to locals? And really, for people especially in the US who obviously have heard of angostura but maybe not don't know the full story can you talk a little bit about that
1: the the, the full story of angostura is fascinating and and how trinidad in particular has really adopted angostura uh, really, a very at a cultural level, you'll have to call it. That's mm. where it is. Angostura is part of Trinidad and Tobago culture. Mm. It is something that we think that we have given to the world, wow. and that's that's it. And and it's we're not giving it away. So Venezuela, eighteen twenty-four. That's when the company was formally created. But bitters was created in eighteen twenty, as everyone knows, primarily as a medicine. But over time it started to moonlight (laughs) as a cocktail mixer. And again, global events meant that uh, eventually, primarily the main global event that really helped us a, a big way was, believe it or not, prohibition in the US. Once there was prohibition in the US and all alcohol was sort of went underground or just disappeared completely, when the law was repealed, and um, spirits were coming back, and everybody was kind of enthusiastic about it. The only bitters that survived that horrible, okay, <laughs> weird time was really angostura bitters. Wow! So that once it once people started making cocktails again. The one bitters that was accessible, Angostura bitters.
0: That is fascinating,
1: and there, and there, and that's why you find it in these classic cocktails.
0: Yes, it is, and it's it's really ubiquitous. Everyone has heard of Angostura bitters and has used it. R- remind me, what was it when you said it was used initially as a medicine? What was it used for?
1: It was primarily for for stomach ailments. It was. Wow. Oh, Dr. Seagert had created it in Venezuela because he had left. Germany to come to Venezuela to support Simon Bolivar because Simon Bolivar had was you know busy liberating South America and his army needed medical attention and I suppose Montezuma's revenge or whatever they call it any stomach ailments were very common and and Dr. Siegert created uh, this as was well how things were done an elixir uh, which had essential medicines in it But like all medicines in those days, they were very bitter. Yes. And uh, what he did was add other elements to it to improve the flavor of the essential medical ingredient that was there. And also understanding how the body uh, deals with uh, digestion and enjoying food. It had to be a combination of taste and aroma. So it's not Angostura aromatic bitters by guess its bitters to deliver the medicines, its aroma to improve the flavor and to help to revive your appetite. If you haven't been well, your appetite goes. This aromatic, flavorful thing was supposed to have that wonderful combination of improving digestion and reviving your appetite.
0: Well, that's interesting. So it's almost like a digestive. Rolled in. Precisely. Are uh, uh, rolled together with an aperitif, right? So it's a digestive and an aperitif. It makes you want to, when you have that one cocktail before dinner, you then ready to eat.
1: That's correct. There you oh, go. Okay. Wow. And, it, and it's the, that, that aromatic component that he fully understood that really needed to be there so that your entire digestion system is brought to life by the aroma, by the flavor. And we're off and running. You've got bitters,
0: okay. And I know you can't reveal any uh, secrets. This podcast is not going to, you know, give us the <laughs> recipe on Angostura bitters. But is there a, a prime ingredient you can share that does some of those properties that you're talking about? Is it is it ginger? What is that?
1: I think on the bottle you'll see gentian.
0: Oh, gentian, Okay.
1: You'll see gentian is on the bottle and other things. So. One presumes that gentian is one of the key elements in there. Now, not everybody gets to know what's in there. I'm afraid I even if I knew I couldn't tell you. So uh, there You'd you have go. To tell even me. if I knew I couldn't tell you. <laughs> no, but the thing the thing about the thing about bitters, it's an extraordinary story. I, I have to give the family huge credit in that it's an unusual mixture, and they did a lot of hard work to get that product. Uh, the, the global brand that it is, one thing that they did that really helped them was move from Venezuela to Trinidad. Mm. Now at the time Trinidad was a British colony and we all knew that in those days the British the sun didn't set on the British Empire so that once the British you know took it on board, it would definitely find its way throughout the world so that whoever whoever came up with the pink gin did us a huge favor because you can't make a pink gin without bitters. And there you go. And if the sun doesn't set on the British Empire, we need Angostura bitters throughout the world. And that's what happened.
0: Your rum is maybe not quite as known as the bitters, but is a very unique, distinct flavor. Talk to me about what makes Angostura rum different and uniquely Caribbean
1: well angostura rum it's a fascinating it's again fascinating stories these things evolve when when the seaguts came to trinidad rum raw alcohol is the ingredient it's the, the 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 liquid which leaches the important essential oils from that secret mixture of herbs and spices that creates angostura bitters and um, when they came to trinidad they needed to buy spirits from all the distillers who were here to make their bitters. And what they did was, I think it was Carlos Siegert, one of his sons, because the old man never, Dr. Siegert, never made it to Trinidad. He died in Venezuela. His sons brought the business to Trinidad because, well, Venezuela has always been a challenging place to do business. And way back when, it was quite common, just as it is now, for Venezuelans to come across to Trinidad when things got difficult in Venezuela. So they came to Trinidad. Carlos Siegert decided to grow the business, and he thought that we understand aroma and flavor. We're going to make an alcoholic beverage, not exactly a rum, but rum-based with a flavoring, and we'll we'll see if we can't replicate the um, massive success of bitters, except now with a, with a drink. I suppose it might have been considered a spice rum, Siegert's Bouquet, would have been considered as a spice rum yeah, if, for as, sure. in modern time they would be considered a spice rum they did that and they had an orange flavored liqueur something called charyptin. again really making moves into the cocktail space where bitters was and they thought this where things would where things would happen they tried really hard and it as they say overnight success takes about 20 years <laughs> they started in 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 1880 with this rum stuff or flavored rum stuff And they really struggled doing all sorts of things, trying the flavoured stuff, trying the unflavored stuff, until a great grandson, Robert Siegert, decided that rum, if we're going to do rum, we better do it properly. Let's commit to rum. And when you commit to rum, then you can make decisions. Decisions about your raw material, decisions about how you're going to distill, decisions about how you're going to operate, and how you're going to blend your rums. And all of these decisions started happening in 1947 when Angostura built their first distillery. No pot stills, no coffee stills. We went straight to these five-column stills, which allowed us to make a light rum and a heavy-flavoured rum, which we could then age and blend, blend and age to create a a rum flavour that we thought represented an advance on the purely pot still rums or the coffee still rums. Surprisingly, not dissimilar to the way the Cubans make their rum, though in particular Bacardi make their rum, not dissimilar. But we would separate ourselves from uh, the Bacardis of this world by making our rum a little bit more intensely flavorful, mm-hmm. so that Angostura's rum comes around as being uh, refined, cultured, if you will, but still has a bit of a punch of the Caribbean, something right. that we are known for.
0: It's unique. It's that you can taste the spices of the Caribbean. You you definitely can tell a difference with Angostura rum. Just a
1: little more intense, and, intense, and with, yes. with other things, other other issues that allowed us to believe that we were somewhat more refined than some of the other products out there.
0: What is your title, and what are you doing now for Angostura?
1: Right, this is this is where the full circle comes around. Quite interesting. Uh, um, Angostura's master distiller officially resigned. Retired, I should say. I'm an old man.
0: (laughs) You don't look it, John. You don't Um, look it. I'm
1: so far so good, yeah, but I'm an old man. But the point is, as Angostura grew and developed and went through various phases, about 20 or so years ago, maybe 25 years ago, we really elected to, first of all, go with the rum business and go big for an export rum business. And when you want to export your rum and your Angostura bitters, the first thing you have to do is try to explain to people why is Angostura Bitters in a, making rum. What is it about the rum, uh, Angostura's rum, that makes things different? I mean, let's let's get, get that out of the way first. And um, the situation is that they sent these guys from England <laughs> to find out about the rum because these are the guys who are going to be marketing abroad, and they wanted to know what rum was. The- I was the one designated to show them Angostura rum,
0: as you should be.
1: Yeah, as it turned out, I'm the guy who gets to do that. You're the guy. Yeah, I run the place. For many years, I ran the distillery, (laughs) packaging, not packaging. Well, yeah, packaging eventually, but it was distilling and aging. Those were my responsibilities. But when I went to boarding school, it was run by these very English people, primarily. English, a few South Africans, and so on. And um, my wonderful West Indian accent was lost. And it never really came back. <laughs> those years meant that my original Caribbean accent, gone. In favor of something that's kind of neither fish nor fowl nor good red herring. And that's the other reason they told me, talk to these guys. They will at least understand what you are saying.
0: They needed yours.
1: So between those two things, whoops! here I am again, positioned to be What Angostura felt they needed at the time. Someone who could explain how Angostura makes rum in a manner which everyone could understand, and even more interestingly, could be readily translated. Because I I found myself, for instance, in Moscow way back when, and the gentleman who was translating for me would tell me, yeah, it's easy. You speak slowly, you speak essentially very correct English, I can translate that easily. I was in Prague and my translator said the same thing. You speak slowly, you speak more or less standard English. This is easy to translate. So
0: in a way, you you are a bridge. You are a bridge between- It turned out that I was. Yeah, you were a bridge between Trinidad and Tobago, the, the, the local culture, then the Angostura story and who can tell it best. So in a way, you and I are very similar because you're also a storyteller. You are the storyteller of the brand. I then
1: then had to develop that. I had to realize that I knew, okay, Angostura is 200 years. I have spent like 30 something years with Angostura. Yeah. (laughs) Coming on to 40 years now. Wow. And so I've been part of that. And, you know, when I first joined, I met some, the the last Seagirt to work in the company, I actually... Managed to 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 meet him and and work with him on a couple of occasions, and um, some very interesting transitions. I, I happened to be present for, and and that made me in a way, very capable and able and uh, believable.
0: Okay, this is fantastic. So I love this full arc of your story. I love that you, (laughs) you know, you had, it's almost like you had to go to Africa to learn the Queen's English in a way, to then come, right, to come back. You've got, (laughs) you're definitely from Trinidad and Tobago. There's no denying that. But you've come, you're coming, you're coming with a little more cachet because of this different accent and you also understand the brand. You come with industry knowledge.
1: One other thing that, I personally think affected me is that I come from a, a, a family, and we're and my and my father in particular, a proud West Indian in the worst worst possible way, a proud West Indian. That is something that I have also taken on, a proud West Indian, and you know, passionate that we can do whatever we need. And when when you're in Trinidad and you're, you're looking for something, Angostura rum is the name of the game. It's 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 what you it's drink. created here. It was most of the people we work with are all Trinidadians. We're the ones that are putting this together, and we're giving this to the world. And it's an awesome product. And as a Trinidadian, I certainly feel proud of that. And I, I am. My old man was kind of a socialist sort of guy, and really very much a product of his time. And a product of his time was these are the these that was the generation that led many of these ex colonies to independence it was their drive and their vision of an alternative world where you know we weren't just colonies of great britain we were independent countries all capable of not only running their own show but giving something to the world mm, and um <laughs> my my parents generation that's what motivated them that's what motivated them and in my way it motivated me because coming out of out of that situation is what do we have to give the world, and why not rum?
0: I love it. I why love not it. rum? So let's get to the most important question of the entire conversation, and that is: take me through your two favorite cocktails. How would you make
1: them? <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it, I just—I have, I have a new bottle of Angostura rum, okay? And I need some uh, inspiration. I need some ideas, John. So, what are the two?
1: It's so, Favorites. so difficult. There are two problems, two problems. My background is making rum.
0: Right, you're a chemist. I, 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 we, you, you I are, make we, rum. You were a chemical so, engineer.
1: <laughs> I'm a chemical engineer, and and I appreciate, and, and this is the, the beauty of it. Uh, what I learned, of course, as an engineer, it's all technical stuff, pumps, compressors, sure. boilers, that sort of thing. However, when you want to make decent rum, you've got to know your equipment. You've got to understand how she works and how to make her work, how to get her back on her feet, how to make her turn out the right stuff. And the right stuff is an idea. Sure, there's technical stuff, but it's what you can smell and what you can taste. And making changes, the fun happens, the two funnest times in a distillery is starting a new still, which is always woo, kind of weird, and solving problems because there's no one that can teach you. This is your equipment. You've got to figure it out. So rum is it. Cocktails for me, whereas I respectfully enjoy cocktails, I like my rum neat.
0: (laughs) Ah, there's the punchline. Okay, so you're not going to help me out with a cocktail here. (laughs) Rum neat is not going to help me with my fall cocktail series that I've been working on. No,
1: (laughs) I understand that completely. That said, that said, now we get back to the other thing. If you ever get to meet young Mr. Daniel Jones, you must ask him to make you a daiquiri using Angostura 1919. Now, it's the simple cocktails made well that really are the way to go, in my opinion. He makes great, great daiquiris with... Angostura 1919, which is a surprisingly soft and gentle rum, but somehow it really holds up well in, uh, in, in a daiquiri. Go for it. The other guy that you need to meet is Raymond Edwards. Raymond Edwards is Angostura's chief brand educator. Pretty much any cocktail he makes for you, you're going to love from beginning to end. When I say that, I mean just to watch him make the cocktail, listen to his passion, (laughs) see the efficiency with which he goes about his business. The look, the aroma, the taste, everything about it is a wonderful experience. When it comes to cocktails, I like the full experience, meaning I like to look at the person make that cocktail just to see how they're going about their business, how much of they have learned, that craft of making a cocktail, the little things they do to take it over the top and then presentation.
0: Absolutely. And
1: um, that's stunning. I had an Italian bartender make me a wonderful daiquiri in a high-rise building in the Ukraine once. And the whole experience uh, was brilliant. (laughs) It was brilliant. He was an artist. From beginning to end.
0: It is an art, isn't it? It's about presentation as much as it is the drink. It's about how it is the, a drink. Yeah, every detail matters. Absolutely.
1: And when when I it was a nice quiet evening that time, and he just decided to show me the full extent of his commitment to his craft. And it was wonderful to watch, and the drink was brilliant. <laughs> I
0: love that. I love that. I should have asked you what instead of asking you your favorite restaurant. I should have asked you where did you have your favorite cocktail. And I have a feeling that would have elicited well, the same that response. Was, that was yeah. an
1: experience that. I, and when I when I tried to um, the latter part of my career was really spent uh, traveling, and not, not all the time, but quite a bit, to various parts of the world promoting Angostura's cocktails and so on, and Angostura rum, and. Uh, the big part of that is education people need it to know and, and and my personal experience with these things is that the more you know about something the more likely you are the more you appreciate it to begin with and then you can call for it because it's something you understand i think the rum is almost like a a work of art and the more that you know about it the more that you appreciate everything and Sometimes it does take someone to point out to you what's happening for you to fully experience it. Mm -hmm, And I go back and I try to, in my rum tasting situations, try to suggest that we have a, a mindful moment. I know it's very vogue for other things, but even when you're having a drink, you really need to slow down, take a couple of breaths, settle it, and focus on what you're doing. And then... All of a sudden, particularly men, more worse than women. Men don't have these this ability to come up with the aromas, the flavors, the colors in their head. They they just can't imagine it. I was doing a rum tasting just the other day, and obviously they'd never done it. And I'm saying, knows this? Are you getting the right banana? And the guy says, yes. <laughs> now I'm not hypnotizing anyone here. It's just that he had never slowed down long enough to allow those gentle aromas to come to him. That's what I try to do. I try to get everyone to slow down a little bit, block out everything, have a look at this. It's brilliant. It looks beautiful. It's crystal clear. It is diamond brilliant. The colors are awesome. When you start to nose the spirit from six or or seven inches, the lighter components are already coming to your nose. What are those? As you get closer in, even deeper aromas, heavier aromas, you get right in. All of a sudden, there is the casky note, and you've got this three-dimensional rum flavor coming up. You sip it and you close your eyes so that you're focusing only on what you taste. And all of a sudden, you're having an experience that you've you've drunk a lot of times before but you're having a different experience because you're a little bit more mindful.
0: Mindful, I love that. Well, <laughs> I have, you, thank you. Thank you for sharing your journey in Rome. Um, it's really fascinating to see your full circle journey. It really is. So cheers to you, John. Cheers. Next time I'm in Trinidad and Tobago, we're going to Mina House and we, I will drink my rum neat.
1: You'll drink your rum neat. And um, it must be fascinating the number of people you've spoken with and I'm honored to be chosen.
0: Thanks for listening to To Dine For the Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todinefortv and Facebook at to Dine for with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For the Podcast, American National, and Terlotto Wine Group. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golmer. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon.